and welcome to the Busyness Podcast. My name is Emily Austin. I'm the founder and CEO of a London-based PR agency called Emerge. I'm passionate about launching and scaling small businesses and have been fortunate enough in my 13-year career to work with some of the most exciting, category-defining brands in the world. I started my business when I was 22 years old, fresh out of university. Since that time, the world has got louder. Our expectations have become greater and our lives have become busier. Fobbing friends off with the stock answer we've all become accustomed to, I'm so busy, is an attempt to compel, conflate and convince. But when did being too busy become a mark of status? Why is the goal to never have any free time? And just what the fuck is everyone doing? Are we setting unrealistic expectations for future entrepreneurs and business owners by encouraging them that a maniacal approach to diarising is the standard? This podcast aims to give you a realistic, detailed insight into the honest stories, the failures, the triumphs, the intricacies, the mistakes, the comebacks, the fuck-ups from those set to make their mark, the leaders, movers and shakers, trailblazers and game changers. We cover imposter syndrome, hiring and firing, call-out culture, anxiety, global growth, daily routines and knowing when to quit, choosing the best in the busyness to help you cut through the noise and optimise your success. Today I speak to Venetia Archer, founder and CEO of on-demand beauty booking platform Ruby. Venetia launched Ruby in 2015 at a time when on-demand tech platforms such as Deliveroo and Uber were taking off in the UK. Taking a leap from her career as a geopolitical risk analyst into the beauty industry, Venetia earned a spot in the Forbes 30 Under 30 2017 list. And today Ruby connects over 500 highly skilled beauty professionals with clients across London offering a host of services, including blow dries, massages, manicures, and makeup with plenty more exciting things in the pipeline. The business kicked off their regional rollout this year, launching into Manchester. Venetia spared a moment between running a business and being a mum to a young baby to chat to me about how she defines success and why focusing too much on the competition can hinder your growth. We discussed learning resilience in the face of rejection, celebrating the wins, and reminding yourself that what you're doing is fun. She shared with me why she started off by applying for a startup loan rather than diving straight into institutional fundraising and how she went on to acquire another business within three years of her own launching. We chatted about the advantages and disadvantages of being a sole founder, the importance of sharing your problems and why it's best to keep things simple in order to stay organised. It was great to finally catch up with Venetia as I've really been looking forward to recording this with her and I hope that you can take some practical and inspirational tips from her story. To kick off, can you tell me more about what Ruby is and what the brand mission is? Yes, so Ruby is an on-demand beauty services platform um, operational across the UK So we enable uh, users to book beauty services to their home within 90 minutes, hair, nails, massage, makeup, all of the above. Uh, We work with a network of over a thousand um, expert beauty freelancers in London and Manchester, Brighton, um, and have been around since 2015. 
So in terms of our mission, we're all about empowering the consumer with choice. So, you know, facilitating and streamlining the beauty bookings process. Um, you know, we allow allow people to to book treatments at, you know, all, all hours of the day from 7 a.m. till 11 p.m. Um, and so it really just enables people to get on with their day without that sort of extra, extra hassle of, of organizing the appointment. And then on the other side, our tech platform, supports beauty freelancers who are all independent entrepreneurs on their own right. Um, so, you know, uh, enhancing access to, to clients, to professional progression opportunities and so much more. Um, so it's, it's been an amazing journey and, you know, we've got sort of thousands of, of people who, who are a part of our community now. And so when we talk about choice and we talk about the idea of someone coming to a home, um, being able to give you all these treatments. Now, today, that feels much more natural and it feels like something that people are comfortable doing. When you launched in 2015, what can you tell me more about what the market was doing at that point and, and, and subsequently what led to you actually coming up with the idea for the business? Absolutely. So, Back in 2015, and we actually launched, like we actually went live in 2016. We had Uber coming to London, Deliveroo, and there was this sort of surge in in on demand provide, you know, app providers. And you know, I thought to myself, there really is a gap in the market for beauty beauty services. I was busy, you know, working really long long hours, and found it so you know almost impossible to book, you know, to book things in around around my schedule. And actually, when we first launched the the business, we focused on salon bookings, so salon appointments, and we always had this at-home element to it. But over time, it became very apparent that that's where the consumer demand was. People were booking the at-home, you know, to a much greater degree than, than the salon piece. So we recognized that, one, there was a consumer demand, and two, there was this amazing opportunity to build um, you know, build a software solution for uh, mobile beauty developers, not developers, sorry, mobile beauty professionals who didn't have anything like it. So our tech allows them, you know, one, to access their customers, chat with their customers. We've got geolocation optimization, um, payment solutions, etc. cetera. Um, so, uh, you know, so we've really been building that, you know, as well. Um, so, yeah, so I think at the time, you know, we had this emergence of, of, of these sorts of, you know, service apps, um, but there was nothing for beauty. And while my background is, is not beauty or tech, uh, I took it upon myself to, you know, to try and solve the problem. Tell me more about your background. What were you doing before you decided to, to start a business? So, I mean, everyone is turbo surprised when they hear what I used to do because it is such a far cry from, from, from what I do now. But I was a geopolitical risk analyst uh, specifying in Somali piracy. So I spent time in, in East Africa. I was, you know, doing, doing work out there and, and looking at the Somali piracy, which was so interesting and, um, you know, such an adventure. And then I came back to London after after my stint out there and, and was doing some some other things in London kind of in that space. And then really, you know, I, I, I'd sort of, you know, I, I, I enjoyed what I did, but I, I sort of knew deep down that I always wanted to, to do my own thing, work for myself, create something. Um, and so I was sort of 
deciding between a, you know a few different ideas and then and then stuck on on Ruby. So high risk has been a critical part of your your career so far. Totally. I have a, you know, huge aptitude for risk. I love it when things are, you know, when, when things are up in the air, that's where I feel like I really kind of come into my own. So, um, you know, some people that find that, you know, absolutely terrifying, but I, I don't know why I, I, I get a real kick out of it. We hear a lot about founders starting passion projects. It's a big part of uh, the narrative, the PR story, especially for female founders. Was this purely a passion for you did you did you know that you wanted to change this sector specifically or did you feel compelled to start a business and then an idea presented itself in the category which which way round was it for you I think it was a little bit of both um I think I knew that that was the way that I wanted to structure my life I wanted to create I wanted to build something I wanted to make a change uh and then I spent some time you know, trying to work out exactly what that would look like and exactly wanted, what, what I wanted to spend my time on. And, you know, since I started Ruby, you know, it's, it's been kind of my, my be all and end all and, and, you know, make in, in terms of making, making this a success and, and making Ruby and, and at home beauty services, a household name. So I guess, I guess it was, you know, it wasn't the the concept that came first. It, it was wanting to create something, um, and then the idea came later. What were the practical steps that you took when you started? Because you didn't have any specific experience per se, and it is a complex sector. There's a lot of regulation. You're working with customers and suppliers. There's a tech build as well, um, as well as a brand. And knowing where to start, how to launch, what were the practical steps you took at the beginning to actually get the business off the ground? Oh my gosh, it's such a good question. And seriously, sometimes I look at what I do and I think, how could I have picked the most complicated, <laughs> the most complicated model? Like as you say, it's a marketplace. You're dealing with tons of, you know, t- you know, so so many different people. It's logistics. It's tech. It's brand. Um, and perhaps if I knew that on day one, you know, maybe I would have, maybe I would have taken a breath. Um, but no, I, I, I jumped straight in. And I think from my perspective, my, my first real, you know, I guess the first steps that I took were around building community and expertise around, around me. So, which helped me refine out my vision, refine out the practicalities. So, you know, I, I got on my computer and emailed every single person that I knew that ha- was either in the space, had built a business, you know, understood about the beauty industry uh, to help with my my knowledge and my understanding of the space. Um, so that was really important. And that continues to be hugely, you know, hugely important part of what I do. And then off the back of that, I uh, spoke with lots of different agencies sort of development agencies individuals sort of developers and and started to um started to refine in my mind what we needed to do from a from a technical um perspective so so my first steps you know really were you know really were to find some people who could help me help me build this um and also help advise on how to build and then quick you know soon after that obviously recognize hold on hold on this is going to take you know this is going to take um, more money than, than than I have, and so I applied for a startup loan, which helped to build the MVP. And that all probably took you know about 
sort of six to 12 months. Um, and, and by sort of 12 months, we had we had that MVP in place. Were you ever intimidated by the uh, idea of raising money? Did it, you, you mentioned that you applied for a startup loan as opposed to approaching VC or any growth capital in that instance. Was it, um, why was that the choice for you? Why did you decide to, to do that rather than raising from VCs or growth capital funds? I think that I needed to do a little bit more in terms of getting the kind of business to a place where it was actually tangible. I actually, you know, had more than just an idea. Um, And, you know, in hindsight, I think that was the right thing to do um, because I'm sure VCs and investors have people come with ideas, you know, all the time. And actually, if you have something to show them, uh, it shows dedication and commitment and also a clearer pathway to 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 success down the line. So that was that that was probably the reason why I was also you know I was also first time founder had never kind of done anything like this before, and you know getting a loan felt a little bit more like more of a comfortable step. However, soon after that, we did need to raise, and so and so I opened an angel round, and we you know closed that. Um, actually, you know quite easily. And in fact, to your question, I definitely find fundraising, you know, much more uh, challenging now as the sort of stakes are high, the business is bigger, the, the ask is, is, is bigger. And so somehow I, I found, you know, a really great network of angel investors who totally bought into the vision early, early on and were just as excited about it as I was. You launched the business in 2015, as you mentioned earlier, shortly after the marketplace, particularly in Europe, changed with Uber and Deliveroo and Instagram and some of these um, big name companies. Not long after that, we were thrown into a global pandemic, which even now sounds strange to talk about it, that it sort of started about 18 months ago. I think everyone has kind of blinked and lost a year and a half of their lives. The beauty sector particularly was quite neglected by government in the UK particularly and a lot of beauty professionals are very vulnerable to those kind of restrictions given that the flexible work means that the workforce are often mothers, primary caregivers, people who perhaps really desperately need that flexibility. For you personally running a business that in theory had to switch off the lights for a very long time with no real support or plan. What has the last 18 months been like for you? I can't believe that it has been 18 months and it's been a complete and utter whirlwind of not just action and decision-making, but also emotions. You know, as a founder, you literally give your heart and soul to something and, you know, do everything that you can for, you know, to, 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 to build a successful business. And then all of that just, you know, feels like it's sort of taken away and, you know, overnight. And, and obviously our revenues went to zero, you know, overnight because we were unable to operate. So, you know, it was a very, you know, it was a very fraught time, um, but, you know, required, you know, myself, other business owners, everyone to kind of go into this quote unquote wartime CEO mindset of, you know, um, agile decision-making, which was absolutely key, um, trying to understand how to best protect the business and understand when, you know, what the timelines were going to look like and, and therefore how you would respond to 
you know, a six month shutdown, a nine month, a 12 month shutdown. So there was a lot of planning that went into that. And then also, you know, a lot of really difficult decisions, you know, we had to reduce, reduce the size of our team. We had to, we had to cut, um, a lot of our, uh, external supplies. I mean, we really had to sort of shrink down to zero. So, you know, you sort of work to build and grow and, and then, and then sort of do the opposite. So, so it was definitely challenging, but for me, I really feel that it, you know, sort of thinking about it from a positive mindset, you know, it was, it was like a, a business MBA, like the COVID MBA, you know, I learned more over that 18 month period about business than I have, um, you know, in a lifetime. And really the sort of, you know, the decisions that we made have, you know, with the right ones, you know, we see in retrospect, I mean, Ruby is now busier than it's ever been. Um, we've been able to, to weather the storm and come back stronger. Um, so, you know, now on the other side, you know, we can, we can smile, but you know, there was definitely, there were definitely some low points during that time for sure. Did you listen to lots of podcasts? Did you talk to people? Did you read books? How did you make sure that you, kept learning, but also stayed sane during that time? Wow. Good question. Whether I stayed sane, I'm not sure. I was also pregnant. And then in November, just before the third lockdown, I had my baby. So there was a lot, you know, like sane, I'm not sure. Um, but um, uh, absolutely. I mean, it was all, you know, I, I always, I always read, I always listen to podcasts. I always sort of seek, you know, seek out other tr- entrepreneurs who are not just more experienced than me and further down the line, but, but also those who are, who are sort of, you know, at, at the same, at the same place as I am, you know, to sort of share, share stories and, and, and get advice and also, you know, try not to feel so isolated. You know, isolation was, was a big problem for everyone. Um, and so, and so maintaining connection was important. Um, you know, not necessarily easy all the time, you know, it was, a, it was, a, it was a weird time. Um, but I definitely, you know, one of the things that I learned was, you know, ma- maintaining those bonds and keeping those conversations going are, are just so important for your own, you know, mental health and, and sanity. Yeah. You, you acquired, um, a company called Perfect 10. Tell me a bit more about that. What, what, how did that deal come about? How did you go about making that acquisition and what did it mean for the business? So this was, a lot of people said that is a completely rogue move for such a young business. I mean, we're only like a couple of years in, um, you know, acquisitions, you know, businesses tend to make acquisitions, you know, much later on in their journey. But you know, I, I, I recognize we built something incredible in terms of our technology solution. We were gaining this momentum, gaining this traction from the customer side, but things were still slow in terms of, in terms of building out the supply um, and also bringing sort of expertise in, in-house that we didn't necessarily have at that point. And a lot of that was around beauty. So, you know, I identified Perfect 10, we'd worked with them previously, really got on well with the founder who is sort of beauty through and through. So it was a great compliment to me. And that um, combined with the fact that that they had an excellent, and we still, you know, we like they're, they're all still working with Ruby now, excellent team of therapists who had been doing this for years. Um, so it all kind of made sense for us. Obviously growth is absolutely critical. You know, all, you know, businesses like ours, you know, we, we, we push, we, we, we push growth and, and unless we made, you know, a pretty, you know, serious move like that, um, we weren't, we weren't going to be able to take, 
you know, take advantage of the opportunity that was presented. So as I say, completely rogue, took a lot of time discussing and convincing our investors, you know, that this was the right move. Um, you know, they thought, they thought I was crazy. Um, but you know, I look back and I'm absolutely so, you know, so proud of what we did and, you know, it had an incredibly beneficial impact on the business, um, in terms of growth. And, and, and we still, we still look to acquisition, um, opportunities now as well, um, because it just works for our model. Has your understanding of the business evolved as you've been in it? So for example, when you started, you knew where you needed capital from to grow, you then decided on an acquisition. Did you start knowing very clearly what that trajectory would be? Did you think about how am I going to exit the business? What do I need to do? Or have you moved through it more naturally and organically? And as opportunities have come up or as as difficulties have come up, you've found solutions to overcome them? I think it's a little bit of a mixture of both. Um, I'm probably as an individual more, you know, opportunistic um, you know, I, I, every day is different, you know, every, you know, I mean, every, every three month period is different, you know, you can't, you know, you, you can't account for how the world is going to change. And obviously, I mean, you know, case in point is the pandemic. Um, so for me, you know, my goal every day is ensure we have happy customers that we're delivering a great service, um, and that people want to, you know, People want to book these services. So it's actually, you know, I try, I try and distill it, you know, and, and even back on day one, when I launched the business, I was like, success is one person booking one manicure through the app. Boom. So, so that's, you know, that's what we set out to do. And that's what we, you know, and, and, and that's what we focus on every day. And then we sort of synthesize, you know, opportunities and information as it comes in. Um, my thoughts on exit, for example, they've changed every year. It's, you know, you know, every year it's, it's different. Um, and you know, I think that that might not be the most kind of popular answer. I think lots of people say, oh, you know, we've got a five year, 10 year plan and this is our exit and this is who it's going to be too. And this is for how much. And listen, I think visualizing and, and having idea is really important, but actually, you know, on a practical basis, things change, the world changes. And, and I've learned so much, you know, I've learned, I've learned, I've learned so much over the past, the past few years. And I've also really learned how to trust my instinct and trust my gut, you know, about what, what might be right for, for the business. And obviously, you know, with experience comes, um, I'm not going to say wisdom because you know, absolutely not, not there yet. And I'm, and I, you know, still have a hell of a, hell of a lot to learn, but you have more data points through experience to make, make better decisions over time and more informed decisions over time. And I think as well, you know, to the question, what I have also really enjoyed as a learning is that you can make big mistakes. You know, you can do things that, you know, do not serve the company or were wrong. You know, you make a commercial decision that doesn't, that doesn't float, but then you can always get back on track. And I look back and I look at some of the mistakes I made and see where we are today and think, you know what, it's all good. You know, you can make a mistake. You just have to, you just have to kind of respond to it in the right way and, and learn from it. Um, so it's definitely an evolution, um, an evolution from that perspective. Um, but it's what I love as well. Like I love, I love seeing things, you know, come to fruition. I love seeing concepts being actioned and, um, 
and things just kind of come together. You know, um, it, it's it's pretty amazing. And and at the moment, you know, with Ruby, like after such a such a tumultuous time, you know, things are running pretty well. I look around and I think, gosh, you know, we've got you know all these amazing people in the office. We've 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 had you know great consumer demand, like you know more than we we would have anticipated. You know, I can't really believe we're here. And so, you know, I'm thinking to myself, Venetia, enjoy the moment. I wanted to ask you, you know, if you are running a business, you have to be unafraid of taking risks and you have to accept that success probably is just making fewer mistakes than successes. It's not about completely omitting the mistakes. Why do you think there's so much fear around that do you think it's because we have this expectation of of perfection I think it depends I think particularly earlier on you know without that experience and and having made the mistakes there's a lot more fear I know that was definitely the case with myself you know in, in the early days you know fear of making mistakes but I think that there is this you know unfortunate um, focus on perfection and on success. And if you look at the way that, you know, if you look at social media, I mean, you know, it's part and parcel, you know, you only put the good things up, you know, you, the raises, the launches, the this and the that. So, you know, it's all, everything always looks good on the outside. But like you say, um, you know, mistakes, you know, mistakes are being making, decisions are being made, um, you know, business, you know, what is business, you know, biz- business is, is solving problems. Um, so, you know, really the, 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 the focus is about solving problems. And I think it's really important that we can be honest about the challenges and the mistakes. So they, they become normalized because as you say, I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely a part of being an entrepreneur. Do you think there's a lot of unrealistic standards being set for people you know if someone was listening now who was going to start a business do you think there's unrealistic expectations in terms of what being an entrepreneur actually looks like based on your experiences versus perhaps what we see on social media it's such an interesting question and I think that there is probably and and I yeah I think that there is probably an element of associated kind of glamour to entrepreneurship, being your own boss, hashtag girl boss, you know, all of that whole piece. And it probably looks really fun and empowering. And and obviously it is those things, but that's not the full picture. Like you say, with those massive highs come you know, hugely, you know, you know, serious lows. And both of those tend to come one day after the other. So it's a real roller coaster ride. And I don't think, I don't think it is as clear as it could be how emotionally resilient you need to be. I mean, you talk about the tears and the nose, you know, I, I, I don't think it's commonly understood or communicated that when people go to raise, you know, you're speaking with hundreds of investors and hundreds are going to say no and a handful might say yes. And so it's that, you know, pouring out your soul and your life's work and having that criticism, not criticism, I I should say, but, but, you know, no buy-in or, or, you know, no alignment and maintaining that level of confidence to push forward. So, 
you know, honestly, I mean, that's what it's, that's what it's like. And for me, I mean, I, I try and maintain a, a consistent level of confidence and enthusiasm and drive, but oh, it's, it's, it's bloody hard. And a lot of the time it's linked to, okay, how much cash is in the bank? What are our numbers this month? Um, so, you know, there's, th- th- there's a lot to it, but we do have to present our story, you know, in a, in, in a positive light because, you know, we are professionals and people are looking at, at where we are and, you know, we're always selling as a, as a founder, you are always selling. And I do think also there is a lot of pressure on particularly female founders to be the face and some people that might work for, but others it mightn't. Um, and I feel that it, uh, you know, there's an expectation to sort of see all of the behind the scenes to go to, to cover, you know, the intimate nuances of your life. And it's kind of become a bit of a bandwagon that people, people jump on, but actually that takes time, that takes commitment and that takes, you know, that, that ultimately takes, you know, takes an investment. And so I think, I think that there is pressure there and I do think that should be looked at um, because I don't necessarily think it works for everybody. How do you deal with competition? Do you look at what other businesses are doing on social media? Does it upset you when they do things or have partnerships or things that uh, you feel like you wish you'd done? What, what's your relationship like with competitors and how do you, how do you manage that to be healthy? I, I think I'm pretty healthy there. You know, I'm, I'm very open. I'm friends with a lot of the other founders in my space. And, you know, I'm, I'm interested to sort of see them as peers solving the same problem. Obviously, there is, you know, there is competition and you have to look commercially and, and, and make sure that you're, you know, that, that you're on the right path. But I think that having kind of, I, I think it's important not to focus too much on what the competition are doing. Um, I think what that can do is reduce creativity, reduce innovation. You know, you sort of think that you've got to follow what someone else has done. In fact, you know, we have our mission, we have our drive, and nothing really should impact on that. I always say a little bit of healthy competition helps push you forward. Um, but also on the flip side, if, if people start copying you, it tells you that it's time to move on yourself. So yeah, it actually doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me too much. Um, I like to look at brands in, in, in different spaces who are inspiring me. I love looking at cool collaborations that people are doing in fashion and think, oh, how could we, how could we do something like that in our space? What can we do that's different? I love looking at brands like, you know, um, North Face and Gucci. I love like Amina Muadi and Walford. I love thinking about the ways that those brands come together and, 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 and like to think about how we can do similar things. Um, so yeah, so I guess focusing less on competition and more on other businesses that inspire you. Do you work with mentors? Do you have advisors, mentors? And if you do, how, how have you found them? So I do, yes. Um, and I've sort of found, I mean, there's, there, I don't have a particularly structured like format, but over the years have met with people who've really, um, you know, I've really gotten well with and, and where the kind of quote unquote sparks fly. And that might be, as I said earlier, someone who's a lot, you know, further along in their journey and who can give, you know, you know, really sort of strategic, helpful advice, intros, 
you know, and things like that. And then also, I, you know, I, I also think my, my community of or my tribe of people who are, you know, in a similar, similar place to me, you know, that, that also, you know, has huge value. So it's sort of picked up, picked up along the way. Um, and also some of my investors are, you know, there are, are, you know, safe hands, people I can pick up the phone to. It dep- depends on where the problem is. So, you know, I always say, you know, you know if it's maybe a, a brand question, if it's a personnel issue, if it's legal, you know, I'll, I'll talk to someone, someone different. So I think that, you know, especially as a sole founder, that's absolutely critical because I personally have the habit of, you know, if I'm stressed out, I, you know, I, I naturally just want to be on my own and isolate and, you know, ponder on my own but actually I've learned no that is the time to go and speak with the mentors speak with advisors and share the problem you mentioned being a a sole founder what are some of the challenges because a lot of the people that I've spoken to are co-founders and they talk very specifically about having different skill sets and one being more operational finance business focus one being creative brand potentially sales marketing PR etc There are obvious benefits that come with being a sole founder linked to not having to halve the number of profits in the business. But what are some of the challenges as an individual responsible for the entire business? I think there is that weight of knowing that if it all goes wrong or if there's a big problem, you know, the buck ends with you. Like that is your responsibility. And so you know, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. And as much as you can build a network of mentors, advisors, etc., sometimes there are problems that you can't talk about, or you can't talk about with your team, or you can't talk about with your investor. And so, you know, it can be, it can be lonely at times. And it also requires you know, a real, you know, real sort of focused commitment because there's no mental time off. There's always something that you need to be thinking about and deciding on. So it's, you know, it's high pressure, it's stressful, and it can be lonely. Absolutely. Um, And I think, you know, that said, you know, I, I enjoy it. You know, I, I like being a sole founder. If I started another business, I probably would. I'd probably look for a co-founder. Um, but I, you know, I, I I wouldn't say I regret the fact that I'm a sole founder with Ruby. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given about running a business? That the best piece of advice I have been given is focus. You know, ensure you are focused. If there is one thing you want to do, focus and build. And work on on that. It's very easy to have a ton of ideas and try and do every every single one. But then the problem is, you know, you're at risk of spreading yourself too thin. You might not have the resources. You might not be able to execute properly on any of them. So, you know, and I've I've kind of you know through my journey been you know had times when I've definitely and myself and the team have taken on too much and actually action that learning. Okay, hold on, you know, let's focus on doing one thing better. Um, and, and, and that's something that I think about every day, you know, when we've got these new opportunities that come up, hold on, you know, what's the opportunity cost of doing this? Um, you know, fine. It sounds great to launch in another city. Um, but actually, you know, should we be spending our attention on that or should we be spending our attention on, on the market that we have and growing, you know, growing the market that we have here? So focus, focus. So you've, um, you've run a business now for six years. Do you ever take time to enjoy 
achievements and goals and milestones are you good at that or is it just a constant relentless pursuit I think that uh, it, it has been a constant relentless pursuit but that's one of the things that you know that that's one of the learnings from COVID and the pandemic you know and, and I feel like now after having gone through that and then seeing the business kind of come back to life looking around and and seeing that we've got a team and that you know where we still exist you know, that, that's been a very special moment for me and one that I'm telling myself, you know, like in, in, enjoy this, enjoy the success. You know, we, we could well not have survived. So I do try to take the time to enjoy. And, you know, sometimes it's also, you know, you look back and you think back to where you were a few years ago and think that you had X number of targets in terms of, um, you know, sales or whatever it might be. And then you think, oh, hold on, we're actually hitting that. Um, so I think taking time to look back and, and, and see how far you've, how you've come is really important. Um, but you know, obviously that comes alongside that relentless pursuit for, for growth and continued success and, and, and new newness and achievement. Um, so, you know, it happens side by side, but I think that, you know, one, it's, it's important, but two, it's also important to enjoy the struggle, um, you know, enjoy the climb, enjoy the fact that you're, you're, you're building something. Um, and, uh, you know, I think I always try and remind myself that this is, this is fun, you know, generally like, you know, we're having fun and, you know, we shouldn't, we sh- shouldn't let ourselves get too stressed out if possible. What have you found to be the biggest myth or assumption about running a business and has it stacked up? Okay. So I think one of the biggest myths about, um, about running a business or, or so- something that people might not necessarily be aware of is, is the breadth of the role you know, as, as a founder, you're, you're, you're deeply involved in all elements of the business and you have to change hats, you know, throughout the day. Um, you know, it's sort of, you know, I feel like I'm the queen, queen of multitasking and and Googling new concepts, um, and trying to work out what, work out what they mean. Um, you know, so it's incredibly varied, you know, you, you, you learn how to, to do each role and, and eventually you hire for them. So, you know, it's, it's very, it's very varied. Are there any apps or products that you use that help you keep on top of all of that? Do you, do you as a business use Slack? Do you use WhatsApp? Do you, are there any other kind of Todoist or otherwise that you use that really helps you be able to manage everything? Yes. So, I mean, we use Slack, we've got reporting things, we use Gecko board, we use Cluvio, um, we use WhatsApp for business. So, so many different tools. And then, you know what? I've got a simple Excel spreadsheet that I have, and it's the first tab on my computer. And that's like Venetia to do. <laughs> and that's what keeps me, that's what keeps me organized. So we've got all the apps in the world, but then like the simple spreadsheet um, is, is probably the most important one. We talked earlier a bit about the lens through which people see entrepreneurs and social media. And, you know, with that in mind, the idea of success has evolved quite substantially in terms of perception and in terms of winning awards and being in magazines and, you know, sexy IPOs and all these other things. For you personally, do you think there's a standard for overnight success? And and equally, how do you define success? So I think you're right. I think that there is a huge focus on these overnight success stories, these huge raises, you know, that come out of nowhere, you know, look at businesses raising 100 mil plus and, you know, three digit month on month growth, etc. Um, you know, and it's, 
I mean, obviously, it's it's deeply impressive for those businesses, but they are only the handful. And I think that by using those as the standards, I mean, you know, you're kind of you're kind of pretty bound to fail. But in terms of success, from my perspective, I like to bring it back. I like it to be simple. I liked it to be about you know happy customers, you know, people using our platform and and becoming that household name, becoming that go to. So obviously, you know, I look at growth. I look at our numbers. You know, I'm sort of a slave. I'm a slave to our metrics. But I think you know I'm trying to to teach myself to see success in the everyday. Um, you know, that's hard sometimes, but, you know, I think it sort of engenders a much more positive, positive mindset. You know, with that said, we're always looking to the future. We're always looking about what we can do next. There probably is, you know, that, you know, it's, it's never ending, you know, when you're on your own business, you know, the world is your oyster. So, um, you know, I think there's a balance to get right there. With that in mind, productivity can be challenging in an environment where we're all expected to be very busy. If you had an extra hour in the day, what would you use it for? Oh my gosh. If I had an extra hour in the day, I would use it to chill out on my couch and just sit on my phone. <laughs> um, I, um, yeah, I mean, life is, life is, is so busy, especially now that I have a baby. So, you know, it's, it's, it's work or a baby and there's, it's very limited like downtime. So, so yeah, just a bit of time for calm is how I would use, use an extra hour. I think enough time is spent up doing the rest of it. And what's next for Ruby? What can we expect to see in the next six to 12 months? So we are super excited. So we've just launched Manchester. So we're sort of, you know, beginning our, our regional regional rollout, um, which has been something that we've been looking to for a long time, but, you know, it hasn't been been quite right. And so so we're actioning in that, which is, which is really exciting. Um, and then also innovation when it comes to the beauty services that we have on offer. So I'm really excited. We do things now like the Vampire Facial, um, which is, you know, PRP, um, extraction, which is like super advanced to do in the home. Uh, we have a practitioner who got her own centrifuge machine made, you know, so, so, so she can use it mobile. Basically that extracts. So you, you, you take your blood and then you put it in the centrifuge, take, you know, extract the plasma and then re-inject it. It's an incredible anti-aging treatment. So things like that, um, you know, introducing amazing new new treatments in the home that you wouldn't necessarily think you could you could have otherwise. So I'm pretty excited about about that as well. I'd say I'd say those th- those two things are probably the biggest things we've got going on at the moment. Venetia, I'm so grateful that you've taken the time to talk to me. I know we've tried to do this about 300 times in the last six months. So a uh, testament to sort of how you are and, and, and how much is going on. I can't quite believe that you've had full time running of a business in a pandemic and a sector that has been sort of devastated by, by the impact. You've also had a baby and you always look fabulous and bright, energetic, interesting. And I'm really grateful that you've shared your story with me because I think there's lots of people who will be able to take very practical and inspirational tips from from your journey so thank you for for taking the time to talk to me I really appreciate it thank you so much Emily this was this this was a lot of fun and I'm glad we finally finally managed to do it <laughs>